You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, we talk tight end John Bates with Boise State tight end coach Kent Riddle. I have talked to former Washington tight ends Logan Paulson and Chris Cooley, and both like this pick. I've talked to someone else in the league who felt Bates would help but wasn't enthralled by him. Riddle knows him well and can provide insight into what he was like at Boise. When you talk to their position coaches from college, they obviously will say good things about them, but they also know them very well very well. So focus in on the things that he talks about what he did well and why he thinks he has a shot to become a good player in the NFL. Right now, that's what we're looking at. It's all projection and it's all speculation. With the NBA playoffs in full blossom, don't forget to check out the daily fantasy site monkeyknifefight.com. Get a free $5 game and up to $100 in a match deposit just by using promo code JKR. That's a lot of free money to play with. And as always, you can read my work on ESPN.com. Washington will be starting the next phase of its OTA work this week. The meeting will be out there on Tuesday and we'll be able to talk to a few players. Alas, still via Zoom, but we will have discussions about that. Before I share my conversation with Boise State tight end coach Kent Riddle, here are a couple things. On the Morgan Moses release, anyone should have seen this coming once they gave him permission to seek a trade. Heck. After they drafted Sam Cosme and then signed Charles Leno to start at left tackle, that also was a very big clue. Time will tell if they were right to move on or not from Moses, but I also know a year ago at this time, the reaction, the fan reaction would have been different. Moses was coming off two subpar seasons for him, and a lot of that can be traced to having subpar off-seasons. When he's had good off-seasons, he's followed that with really good seasons. But the point is, the reaction would have been different. And I think if you're being honest with yourself, you would agree. I talked to one executive for another team who said the market was depressed for Moses in part because he, the, the word was he wanted an extension on, on with two years left. That's only partially true. Moses' side did approach Washington this offseason asking about an extension. He wanted to finish his career here. But they were told no for a simple reason. He had two years left on his contract, and they did not want to set the precedent of extending guys that early. It wasn't necessarily because they were thinking of replacing him. I don't think they didn't have any idea that Chicago would draft a tackle and then release Leno. But anyway, Moses aside, dropped that request and moved on. I was told it was not something he was seeking, that it should not have held up any possible deal. The fact that it was kind of out there is... You know, that was kind of a problem. The reality is what held it up is not is that not many teams have both the salary cap space the de- and the desire to use up half that space on a right tackle and then also a need for a right tackle. That was not going to change. So Washington cut ties now rather than keeping him around, hoping that a late round pick would eventually materialize. And he was never going to fetch much more than that. Any possible trade was killed once Washington made public its permission 
for Moses to seek a trade. And by the way, again, that was their decision. Moses didn't go to them and ask for that. Um, and I know some, again, some of you thought that may have killed it, but that's really not the case. Teams trade for guys in that situation all the time. Why? Because if they truly want that person and know that a couple other teams do as well, it guarantees them getting that player. Yes, they know he'll be cut, but they don't know if they can sign him. Now, if they don't feel like there's competition for him or if they're competition on him, to see if he gets cut. If they really like him, even if there's a public uh, situation where you know that he's being traded, then they'll still trade for him. And don't forget, like once once teams start calling, they know a guy is available. That word spreads. So, but again, the key is how many teams are interested in them, much more so than, oh, they made a public um, plea or, or demand or whatever, whatever it is. And so that really is what, what determines the trade value. And, you know, so anyway, just wanted to say that. Moses Desai did contact the other 31 teams to let them know his status and that he did not want a new deal. That was it shouldn't be a holdup. I do think he'll get signed pretty soon. A handful of teams had already contacted them as a Friday morning. He can obviously still play. And as long as he continues to have good off seasons, he'll no doubt help another team. I mean, again, Moses was a good player this past year. And I think he can also, I think he's also good in the locker room. And I think one of the things that I saw him develop in over the last couple of years was being a veteran voice for some of the younger guys. He tried to help Dwayne Haskins, but it wasn't just Haskins. There were other young guys that he would talk to as well. And that's always a, that's always a beneficial thing. This does put pressure on Cosme to produce. The few teams in that first somewhat mixed on him. I know some people who weren't high on him and felt he was a, quote, traits player, someone whose workouts were out of his tape. Others disagreed and felt he could be good because of those traits and that he was a willing worker and had a, a very strong work ethic. Um, and, you know, you heard Logan Paulson on him talking about him on my podcast a few weeks ago. If you haven't, go back and listen to that one because Logan was very detailed in what he liked about him. Washington will be more athletic on that side for sure. It'll take a minute for Cosme to develop because that's what happens. This is clearly a case of looking long-term and building that offensive line and a sign of where Washington feels it's at in its roster building. They definitely believe they can win the NFC East, but in trying to build a roster that can do more, moves like this get made. Again, time will tell if they're right to have moved on from Moses. And, and really, it wasn't even just about Cosme. It's really about getting Leno. Once they got him, that was it. So while I say Cosme replaces him directly, indirectly, it was Leno that pushed Cosme over to the right side and made this a possible move. So, but again, I think I told you this before, when you have a coach who is who is the de facto GM, oftentimes they're going to keep a guy like Moses because you're, you want to win now. This is definitely looking down the road a little bit more. And um, hopefully Moses latches on with a good contender. I've always liked the guy with him. And I think he'll go on and play several more years. Finally, many of you probably heard that the team let their front desk receptionist, Miss B.J. Blanchard, go a week ago after 28 years with the organization. It's not a move that will help or hurt the football product, and it's not a national story. And they have the reasons for any personal personnel decisions, and apparently the position is being eliminated. Um, and I think some people internally will handle the duties. They're not going to replace her. Um, you know, whatever. But what I know is, and this is just in gathering what you do as a reporter, you gather information, you talk to people and her popularity. And I knew this over the years that her popularity with players was through the roof. It's why the Coolies organized a GoFundMe account for her. She handled requests for players. She reminded them of things they had to do, organize fan mail. 
etc. She was like a de facto, you know, she was their quote unquote, their mom in the organization. She instantly knew the voices of players and alumni when they called. It's a connection that mattered too many. Again, the team has their reasons for every move and operate as they see fit. I'm not, I'm not here to criticize or bash that. My only point in telling you that is that it's one that stung a lot of, you know, certainly probably a lot of current players and a lot of ex-employees. It will be interesting to watch the OTAs over the next few weeks and then the minicamp to get a feel for how guys develop and where they're being worked, et cetera. We did not get this opportunity last year, and of course, neither did the coaches, which is vastly more important than us seeing them. But it is fun to see, and it's fun to see certain guys, you know, how will Diami Brown look against, you know, certain corners, et cetera. Um, I'll be curious to see how Jamin Davis's role, um, how that evolves over the spring and the summer and what they ask of him. I know the team feels like he has position versatility and can play the mic. I know some other teams who weren't sold on that idea and feel he's just best left outside. One team I talked to who felt this way did like what he offered. This person just felt it would take being in the same system for a couple years for him to elevate to playing a mic position more, certainly full time. And I think that I think the idea here was probably to integrate that slowly um, and allow him to maybe play that in certain packages much more so than as a full-time player. And, and that's where they like the versatility. Um, and again, if nothing else, he can help outside and is a nickel defender. So that versatility will still matter. Um, and he is athletic. So, but, but it's fun to see guys like that. That's what this time is for to see who, who does what in the spring and then how they look differently in the summer. And I go back, I always go back to Terry McLaurin in the spring. What I remember with McLaurin is he was not beating the corners. He would go up against um, Cromartie a lot in practice. And Cromartie always seemed to have a read on where he was going. And one of the things that Cromartie talked to him about was how he would, he felt like he sold, he, he kind of ran his routes at one speed. And so it was kind of easy to pick up on things. Well, you come back in the summertime and during that interim between the mini, mini camp and the training camp, McLaurin worked on that. And it's incredible. I don't think I've seen a guy develop quite as much from the mini camp to the training camp as McLaurin did, because once he got back, he had changed the way he ran his routes a little bit enough to start to really beat guys in training camp. And that's when you knew this kid's going to be special. So that's the kind of things you start to look for during the spring and into the summer. Finally, they released Josh Harvey Clemens last week, the former safety turn linebacker. Shouldn't be a surprise at all. He opted to sit out last year because of COVID. And while his reasons were understandable, the bottom line is that a coaching staff and now a front office that, that didn't draft him moved on from him. Had he missed because of an injury, the same thing would have happened. I'm, because again, you don't have, they don't know him. They don't, and I'm not sure that he really fits exactly what they want anyways, because he's really not going to, he was never going to be a guy who's going to be a full-time linebacker. Um, I'm also not convinced at all that he would have made the roster last year. So just a procedural move and he moved, we, everybody moves on. Anyway, that's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with Boise State tight end coach Kent Riddle talking John Bates, why Riddle thinks that Bates could be more productive in the pros than he was in college. This show can be found on Podcast DC, the new local app with hundreds of options in local news, health, and, of course, of the DMV region. Download the Podcast DC app to hear all the Empire shows as well as the other great content. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about a fun new offer from Monkey Knife Fight that can enhance any sports experience, whether you're at a game, on your couch, or in a bar. It's a daily fantasy sports league that is easy to play. 
you can sign up on monkeyknifefight.com using promo code JKR and play games such as more or less. Will an NBA player score more or less than a listed point total? You can do the same in baseball. Will a pitcher have more or less strikeouts than a given amount, etc.? It's fun. And every Friday, it's Home Run Derby. Bet on three guys who will have home runs that night. All three hit one, you share in the prize pool. Every week, you can participate in their Eagle Eye jackpot based on the PGA Tour. Choose from any sport, from NASCAR to UFC and League of Legends. And of course, once football rolls back around, there will be even more fun prop bets. This is daily sports betting designed for the average fan to use their knowledge and have some fun. Sign up now at monkeyknifefight.com and use promo code JKR. That's promo code JKR. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Boise State tight end coach Kent Riddle. Kent, I just want to start with what is Washington getting in John Bates? Well, they're getting a guy that's going to be a professional. Uh, He's going to show up. He's going to be prepared. He's going to work hard. Uh, He's going to bring a a lunch pail mentality, you know, to it. Uh, And then I think on the field, they're getting a guy that can be a a dominating run blocker. And, uh, you know, I I think he's been uh, undervalued in the past game. Uh, he can stretch the field. He can go up and catch balls. He can make a guy miss. Uh, he's going to make the tough catch. So I, I think they're getting an all-around guy uh, that's going to be a great teammate first. Well, let's start with the run blocking. Why do you feel he is a is a dominant run blocker? Hey, he's got the size and strength. Uh, but he has excellent fundamentals and techniques. He has really good, does a really good job with his hands, great footwork, uh, you know, rarely gets caught out of place. And then I think the preparation, you know, understanding what he's going to get and, and uh, how to execute his assignment is uh, a big part of that too. Are there some examples of plays where you see like this block was a direct result of his preparation and this is what went into it that, that kind of shows that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we still use a lot of his stuff as, as our training stuff. So, huh. uh, you know, but I, yeah, I'm excited for him and, and excited for Washington and what they're getting. And, you know, you talk about um, the, the, you know, watching him as a blocker and some of the clips that I'd see, he also is a guy who blocks to the whistle as well. Oh yeah. He likes to finish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think he takes pride in that. And then, you know, with, again, with, as a, as a blind, you know, when you're watching me too in pass pro, the footwork, the hands and all that, how, how, because size is one thing as a tight end. We've seen a lot of guys who have size of tight end who can't block for anything. So why, you know, wh- how does he work on that aspect of his game that it made it so important and big for him? Well, I think he's, again, it comes back to the team first uh, mentality. You know, everybody wants to catch a hundred balls a year, but, reality of it is there there's not that many balls that they go around you know for everybody to do that so it's how can I impact the game what can I do to make myself the best uh all-around player I can be and and go work at it and I think that's what he's done uh you know shoot since he's been a freshman I mean he's always a guy that was like what do I need to do to get better help me help me get better so it's not like you had to go to him and say, "Hey, you're going to be a blocking tight end." He he did he kind of understand that right away because I know he redshirted. So did he 
Was it something that he knew right away, or did you have to kind of sell him on that a little bit? No, huh? He he was always a guy like, hey, what do I need to do? Like, whatever gets me on the field and gets me more action than whatever I have to do, I'll do it. Was there a game that stood out for his blocking, or is it? I mean, I know there's he's a good blocker, but was there one in particular that just kind of jumps uh, out for you? I think uh, probably the Air Force game in '19 would be one. Uh, maybe the Marshall game in '19 at the air force game in 20 uh yeah i like he he makes uh our offense was based around having a tight end that could do a lot of different things and he certainly was a guy that could do that so uh i would say most games really how was he a lot of the stuff i'm going to see as an in line how was he just out in space as a blocker really good really good he again he understands um you know, what his strengths are and, and making, making the defense play to that. You know, he's, he's not a guy, if he's blocking a DB, that's going to go run and attack him. He's going to make that guy come to him and, right. and be bigger than he is. And the other, you start off too with a guy who's going to be a worker. Mm-hmm. What are some examples of that? Because, you know, we're always going to hear that, but what are, what did you see of him as a worker? What were some of the extra things that maybe he did that separated himself? Uh, well, he was, he was a guy that always showed up prepared, uh, every day. And that started with, you know, the night, night before, uh, he, he'd say, Hey, can I get the the game plan, the ready list? Uh, you know, what, um, what do you think about how this guy's playing? You know, is he a read guy? Is he a gap control guy? Uh, you know, Hey, I noticed, uh, when he does this, he changes his stance a little bit or, you know, whatever. So I think it was really in the in the preparation that shows that. And then if there was something to work on on the field, he'd stay and work as long as he needed to work on it. Um, wh- before the draft, do, what kind of sense did you get from other NFL teams? Obviously, these guys liked him enough to take him in the fourth round, but he also seemed like he was a little bit under the radar for some other folks. Uh, I think that was probably as much a media thing as anything. I mean, it right. certainly had the indication that, by the end of the fourth round, he'd, he'd be gone. So, so that would, that would, you got that all along. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, shoot, I mean, there's always a chance it goes a little higher or a little lower, but uh, yeah, I, I think had Washington not gotten him where they did, uh, there were a couple other teams coming up in a hurry that, that, that may have gone that way. What did they, what did, when you would communicate with them, what were they seeing in him that made him, like somebody, I mean, obviously the blocking, but like, was it was it primarily that, or were there some other things that you heard about him from teams that they really liked? No, I, th- I think the biggest thing that most guys felt like this guy's going to be in the NFL for a long time and be a productive player. Uh, he can block, he can catch. Um, you know, is he a four four guy? No, he's not. But not many other guys are either. But he knows how to use his body. Uh, He's, he's going to be a guy that you want on your team, and he's going to contribute for a lot of years. As a pass catcher, and you brought up, and again, you know, one of the things that jumps out with him is that he has a, a wider catch radius, maybe, um, is a way to describe it. Do you, do you agree with that? And, you know, wh- oh, what yeah. did you – yeah. Yeah, he, he's a guy – I mean, if you watch all his catches over the years, I mean, he's a guy that can go up and get it in traffic. Uh, he can go down to the ground and get it. Yeah, if you throw it near him, he's going to come up with the ball. And you said maybe under, uh, maybe a little bit undervalued. Is that maybe the style of the offense? Is it just 
more receiver base. So what, what led, what, why would you say that part of it? Well, some of it, we used him in protection okay. <laughs> because well, he was, that's hard uh, to catch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we've been very fortunate, you know, we, we've had a bunch of good receivers here. Right. Uh, and that, that probably led to some of it. Yeah. It was just kind of the nature of where the ball went. And could and sometimes you get a feel that this guy could be, you know, player X could be more productive in the NFL in a certain role than he was in college. Could he be that kind of a receiver? I mean, what do you think of, you know, going yeah, to this level? I do think so. I think he'll, he, he will catch more balls probably. Uh, you know, again, some of it, the nature of matchups in the NFL, some of it, the nature of, Hey, they're going to, they're going to give more underneath stuff. Um, you know, probably a little bit more play action type, type stuff. Uh, so I, I think he probably will catch more balls. And as an, how would you describe him as an athlete? Uh, excellent. <laughs> you know, he, he, uh, he runs better than people give him credit for. Uh, but I think his, uh, quickness and change of direction is, is excellent. He's a high school track athlete, high school basketball player, um, you know, so he's a guy that's done a lot of different things. And, and I think um, all that shows up when he gets on the field and, and has the opportunity to, to showcase his talents. And how does that like how how do you see those skills like translating from track, obviously speed, but there's some other stuff, too, that, you know, he's a triple jump or he's a hurdler, too. I think. Yeah, he throws it. He threw the javelin, for goodness sake. So, you know, but how did you see those skills in, in basketball, of course, too? How did you see those skills translating to football? Well, just you, you, ability to use his body, ability to, to jump, um, you know, transition uh, in and out, I think, of breaks. I think all that's the stuff that shows up all the time. Now, he's a ja- he threw the javelin. Did no court, no tight end passes here or what? Yeah, we, we've had a few over the years. Uh, did, did he we never got him into a game, but we practiced him. He can throw okay. it a little bit. Okay. Did you, did you, what do you remember about scouting him in high school? Because he's doing all that. Like, what was your opinion of him coming? Cause I think it was only Oregon state that had offered him before you guys. Yeah. Uh, he was a guy we knew uh, early on, you know, was, was going to be a college player. Uh, we just, at the time, weren't going to take a, a tight end and you know as we kind of went through it, we started figuring out like hey we probably do need a tight end in this class and he was he was the guy we wanted and we had to go recruit pretty hard against Oregon State uh to get him fortunately he'd kind of grown up over here in the Boise area before he moved to to Oregon um and that that helped us a lot in the long run um but I think his athleticism probably more than anything. He he wasn't even playing tight end. He was playing quarterback and safety oh, really? and a little bit of receiver, but you could see all the athleticism and then he wanted to play physical. So felt like that would uh, translate to, to being a good tight end. How did you see when you said wanted to play physical? Cause obviously, I mean, it's a physical when sport. Tack- when, yeah. when he was tackling and, and the few times he did have to block, I mean, you could see he wasn't afraid of contact. How did you, where did he improve the most during your time, during his time there? Uh, well, I think as a blocker, you know, because he came in not, not being a, a tight end or an O-lineman or, you know, so he just didn't do that. So as a freshman, that was a, a learning curve, but, you know, to go from not doing it at all to where he is now, I think really good. <laughs> and, and it's funny because like, again, when you watch him, like, you know, he bends his knees, he seems to play with good leverage. He really understands 
maybe I hate to say the science behind the blocking of it, but that's all goes into it. No, I think that's accurate. I think he does. I think he understands uh, pad level, leverage, inside hands, uh, you know, footwork, being having a good base. I think he understands all that stuff, and it and it's because he studied it and worked at it and practiced uh, for a lot of years. It's also hard. I think teams are really obviously receiving tight ends are everybody wants them. I think blocking a good blocking tight end has been difficult to find. I think I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, I would agree. Especially a guy that you know he's lined up really in every position, on the ball, in a wing, uh, in the slot, outside. He he's done all that, and uh, a lot of guys only do you know one thing or another, and and I think that and most of it is not lining up and blocking at tight end, right? Uh, but you know that that was a big part of our offense, and and he embraced that. What kind of a what kind of a person is he? He's he's an awesome guy. He really is. Uh, he's uh, you know maybe a little quiet and reserved. Uh, just the first few times you meet him, but he's very thoughtful. Um, you know takes takes uh, ownership of everything he does and tries to do it to the best of his ability. But um, you know very loyal guy. Yeah, I mean he's he's one of the best people I've been around. Really, and how, in terms of loyalty, how did you see that? Were they, what what? Uh, there? Well, I think probably there's there's no better example than he missed the the last two games last year because of uh, COVID, uh, and a lot of guys in his situation, knowing that he was going to be a draftable guy and all that, would have been like, yeah, you know, hey, whatever. I mean, he was he was fighting to get back on the really? field, like everything he could do to to get back out there and, and, you know, finish with the team and play for his brothers. And uh, I I think that probably exemplified it as much as anything. And then, you know, just uh, a guy that'll call and check on, check on the coaches or, you know, how's, how are you guys doing? How's everything going? You know, I appreciate all the things you've done for, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, it it certainly comes from his family too. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're the same way. They're uh, unbelievable people. And, very fortunate to have been around uh, all of them. When, when he's trying to come back from the COVID, how how hard was it for you guys to keep him back? I mean, and, and you know, was it did he make it a harder decision than it needed to be? Well, at the end of the day, it was a it was a yes no thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you don't meet the protocols, but right. yeah, he, we certainly would have loved to have had him. It might have might have changed the outcome. So <laughs> there you go. Well, anything else you want to add about him? No, I mean, he just, like I said, I I think you guys will be excited about uh, the guy that's going to show up and, and uh, you know, have that blue-collar mentality and, and not just uh, talk about hard work, but actually show it and do it. And he might not show up in the stat book uh, at the top of it every game, but if you truly watch what he's doing, there's no question he'll impact that offense. Ken, I appreciate you joining me, man. This is great insight. Absolutely. Anytime, anything you need. Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Kahn Report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team. Everything you want you want to know which is going on with the Washington football team. Once you're done with that, check out my podcast, Inside the Cap, which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations. Check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media.
I'm Byron Kerr, your host for the Curly W Podcast. Join me on the Curly W for the very latest on the Washington Nationals. We'll give you an inside look as to what's happening with the Nats right now and give you also a chance to visit with Nats players and coaches, present and past, to tell you what it's like and what they hope to accomplish with the Nationals. From Fredericksburg to Nats Park, West Palm Beach to Rochester, Wilmington to Harrisburg, it's all Nats baseball. Subscribe to Curly W wherever you get your podcasts. Another great show from Empire Media. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with another episode Tuesday night talking about the OTAs, what we heard from players afterward. Talk to you next time.